You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and Ace Proofreader. Hi, Cindy. (laughs) Hello, Jeremy. I should mention uh, that I introduced you as an Ace Proofreader because you've been helping me put the finishing touches on our new book called The Light at Fort Point. Uh, It's a new 250th anniversary edition of the History of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle, New Hampshire. Yes, that's right. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it should be out soon. Uh, In fact, uh, let's see, we're speaking on, what's today, June 3rd, I think, maybe? Yes, yeah. Yeah, June 3rd. And uh, this is slated to be released on June 13th. The book might be available by the time people hear this. If not, it'll be available very soon. You'll be able to buy it through the Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses website at PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org and also on Amazon. And uh, your help has been invaluable. In fact, uh, you had some input on the design uh, design of the cover as well, which is a, a big help. So thanks. I for- did. Yes. Well, that was really exciting for me, too. I'm especially excited about that today because we just did that. Um, we just did that yesterday. Yeah. So it's it's been um it's been fun for me too. So thank you. Well, thank you again. But we could <laughs> we could continue thanking each we other. Go, for, yeah, that's right. Back and forth for the rest yeah. of the show. Should probably move on here. So this is episode one twenty three of Lighthearted, and this is June thirteenth, twenty twenty one. We'll hear an interview shortly with Caroline Taylor about the Signal House Museum in Scotland, which is closely related to the famous Bell Rock Lighthouse. First, Cindy, has anything interesting happened on this date in lighthouse history? Well, yes, actually. Boston Light, which was established on Little Brewster Island in outer Boston Harbor in 1716, was the scene of fighting during the British occupation of Boston in 1775 and 76 during the Revolutionary War. Some British vessels lingered in Boston Harbor for a few months at the end of the occupation. As they left the area on June 13, 1776, one of their final acts was to set off a timed charge at Boston Light, completely destroying the tower. The remains of the metal lantern were used to make ladles for American cannons. A new tower was built in 1783, and that one still stands. Recent restoration work has revealed that the stonework near the bottom of the tower is different from the upper part of the tower, which indicates that the lower part of the original lighthouse was incorporated into the new one. And also on June 13th, 1865, the poet William Butler Yeats was born in Ireland. He once said, quote, do not wait to strike till the iron is hot, but make it hot by striking, unquote. Mm. So, as I mentioned, today we're heading to Scotland. We'll be talking about a museum that is closely related to one of the most celebrated lighthouses in the world. Wave-swept Bell Rock Lighthouse, about five miles from Arbroath in southeastern Scotland, was designed by the engineer Robert Stevenson of the famous Stevenson family of engineers. The granite tower, first lighted in 1811, was built so well that none of it has needed to be repaired or replaced in more than 200 years. It's the oldest wave-swept or sea-washed granite lighthouse in the world. The keepers at Bell Rock lived inside the tower itself. 
the lighthouse operated in tandem with a shore station known as the Bell Rock Signal Tower, built in 1813 in Arbroath. The signal tower housed the families of the keepers, along with personnel who ran the lighthouse tender that supplied the light station. The name of the Bell Rock Signal Tower comes from the signaling apparatus that was used to communicate between the shore station and the lighthouse. There was a power telescope in the signal tower that was used to monitor communications from the lighthouse. The signaling apparatus involved the use of a ball that was hoisted up and down on a pole. After it was decommissioned, the signal tower was used as housing for the Arbroath Town Council beginning in 1955. It was converted into a museum in the 1970s. The museum has exhibits on Bell Rock Lighthouse and its keepers, as well as exhibits on the local manufacturing and fishing industries. Angus Alive is the culture, sport, and leisure trust for the County of Angus, offering residents and visitors to Angus sports centers, parks, theaters, museums, galleries, archives, and libraries. The Signal House is one of several museums operated by Angus Alive. Caroline Taylor is the Heritage Learning and Engagement Lead at Angus Alive. I spoke with her recently. Let's listen to our conversation now. I'm speaking today with Caroline Taylor of Angus Alive and the Signal Tower Museum in Scotland. Thank you so much for being with me today, Caroline. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. Great. I'm excited too. It's a really interesting subject. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't aware of your museum until maybe a few months ago when a man named Peter Gellatly told me about it. You may, you might know Peter. Do you, do you know Peter? Uh, I don't know Peter. No? No. I've heard he, the uh, name though, definitely. Okay. Yeah. He's a real uh, Scottish uh, lighthouse uh, aficionado. I almost said fanatic. I think you'd agree with that too, if I said fanatic, but he, <laughs> He uh, put out a, a book, a, a guide to Scottish lighthouses called uh, Following the Lights and uh, has, yeah. a web, has a website and a collection of uh, lighthouse artifacts that he uh, shows in different places and stuff. So he's a great guy. I had him on the podcast and he he told me uh, your museum is one of the subjects I should uh, do on the podcast. So I'm glad he told me. Starting out, um, I just want to ask a little bit about what you do and uh, in your work you do with Angus Alive. I believe you're also involved with other museums besides the Signal Tower Museum. Am I correct about that? Yeah, that's right. So Angus Alive is um, a charitable kind of leisure trust that looks after um, the museums amongst other services um, on behalf of Angus Council. So we have five museums that I work in. There's Montrose Museum, Kirrimuir Museum, Forfermethan Museum, Brechin Townhouse Museum, and of course, our both Signal Tower Museum. Um, mm -hmm. So very busy, lots of different objects um, for lots of different topics and um, local history. It's brilliant. Yeah, that sounds like a sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of mental juggling you must have to do. <laughs> keep it keep everything uh, going the way it should. So what actually led you to your position there with uh, Angus Alive? Um, well, I've always been interested in history. I did a history degree um, and actually a master's in museum and gallery studies at the University of St Andrews. Um, and while I was studying history, um, I was volunteering at various museums at the same time. So I kind of, that's how I got into museums generally. And my actual first proper museum job was as, as a museum assistant at Signal Tower Museum. So that was obviously back when it was Angus Council that still looked after um, the museum. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously um, I live in Dundee and our broth is just up the road. So 
it was really good and it was a fantastic place to work. I worked with a really great team, the other museum assistant, Louisa, and my manager, Kirsten. We had so much fun there. We came up with different activities. We were obviously in a really unique location. And that is where the course of my life changed completely because I totally fell in love with lighthouses and particularly the Bell Rock Lighthouse. Although definitely, I would say I'm not an expert, just very enthusiastic um, about the topic. Kind of because of this, I ended up working at the um, Scottish Lighthouse Museum up in Fraserburgh for a couple of years. Then I came back down to work at Montrose Museum, which is obviously one of the Angus Live museums. Less focus on lighthouses, um, more of a focus on kind of maritime history generally, along with everything from like Napoleon's death mask, Pictish stones, ancient Egyptian statues. And then later I was promoted to heritage learning and engagement lead for all five museums in Angus Alive. And Mm -hmm. I think I have the best job ever because I just get to chat to people um, (laughs) about their local history and get them passionate and excited for it. That sounds sounds perfect. Uh, I'd like to talk a, a bit about the history of Bell Rock Lighthouse, which is really one of the the world's great lighthouses. You know, it's a, one I've certainly known about for a long time. Why is it uh, so famous? Uh, you know, I think uh, most of our listeners are probably somewhat familiar with it. But what makes Bell Rock Lighthouse so significant? Well, I think first of all, obviously, the fact it is the oldest sea washed lighthouse in the world and is also called one of the seven wonders of the industrial world. So automatically, like that fact just makes it absolutely um, incredible um, in itself. I also think how it kind of came to be is obviously part of that. How it was built is fascinating. So the Bell Rock Lighthouse is built on the Inchcape Reef which is also known as the Bell Rock because of a local legend involving an abbot and a pirate and everything like this. So it's an incredibly dangerous reef for passing ships because most of it kind of lies under the surface of the sea. It is like incredibly um, treacherous for passing ships. And obviously being very close to two harbours, Dundee, our growth amongst others, there were a lot of passing ships for it to be a danger to. That kind of meant that there was a lot of calls for the lighthouse to be built, but um, it didn't happen for a wee while because of the impracticalities of actually building a lighthouse on this rock. Um, It was a very like kind of hard, jagged rock building the foundation for it. They weren't just digging into soil. They were actually digging into proper solid rock which you can imagine that would be difficult now let alone when they were building it with just yeah. kind of like hand tools and sheer like physical strength so I think that in itself is fascinating um, and all the issues that they had in building it they had to build a barracks out on the rock to house the men so that they could kind of get on the rock more quickly to have more time to actually build it yeah I think that kind of goes into why the Bell Rock's most um, quite significant because mm-hmm. of that kind of hardship. I think you can picture how difficult that must have been out on the rock. I also think the Bell Rock as well, you can see instantly when you look at it, that it looks like the kind of ar- archetypical isolated lighthouse. And I think you do get a real understanding of how difficult it must have been for a lighthouse keeper, um, essentially in an upright tube in the middle of the sea, for most of the day, not even being able to go for like a walk around the lighthouse, um, just kind of um, stuck in this um, narrow building. So I think 
kind of in our like kind of imagination again and um, you can visualize through the bell rock how difficult that role was it also helps that there's the really nice painting by Turner painted as a bell yeah. rock as well which is fantastic I think yeah that kind of shows like, this kind of stormy seas and part of the almost like romance of the lighthouse the rock and being on a rock in the middle of the sea well it's uh definitely you said arch, use the word archetypal it, it, it's uh you know the uh, classic we we might say wave swept here you call it a sea wash lighthouse wave oh, yeah, swept okay. is another another term that's uh used for it sometimes oh i um, like wave swept that yeah well they're both oh, yeah. very fitting i love sea wash too but both both really <laughs> tell the story I think uh, probably the other most famous uh, wave swept or sea wash lighthouse in the world would be Eddystone, mm-hmm. but Eddystone has been rebuilt like three times. Whereas Bell Rock, it's amazing; it's still standing strong after two hundred ten years. That's uh, yeah, incredible. and the fact it was obviously the design for like the layers of rock and the dovetailing that was actually based on the design of the Eddystone. So yeah, it's kind of interesting that that one <laughs> didn't last the test of time, but the Bell Rock did. Yeah, well, dovetailing is. Uh, uh, used uh, in many many of the that type of lighthouse, including one not too far from where I live here, uh, just south of Boston, a couple of hours from me. There's um, Minot's Ledge Lighthouse. I don't know if you you know about that, but it's uh, it's more than 100 feet tall. It's a granite tower on a submerged ledge. The ledge is completely underwater at high tide, and uh, took five years to build, 1855 to 60, and it's the first lighthouse fell over there, and two keepers died. Uh, before that. So it's got quite an interesting history. And you're talking about life inside a, around a offshore lighthouse like that. And I've heard that one of the early keepers at Minot's uh, Ledge Lighthouse had to resign because he stood, couldn't stand round walls anymore. I'm not sure oh if that's, that's true, but it's it's not that hard to believe. Uh, so. oh, definitely not. Yeah, I could imagine that um... Yeah, you must have had to have had a particular temperament <laughs> to have um, a long career as a lighthouse keeper. Uh, especially at a place like that, there's no doubt about it. So uh, on this podcast, we've certainly uh, discussed Robert Stevenson a few times. His name comes up. If you're talking about lighthouses uh, in the world, uh, the name Robert Stevenson is going to come up at some point. Of course, uh, Stevenson was a, and the whole Stevenson family, it was a family of engineers except for one exception, who was a, better known as a writer, uh, Robert Lewis. But uh, why is uh, Robert Stevenson so important in the history of lighthouses? Well, I think because kind of what you just said, that him, um, he or one of his family members, they had a hand in pretty much every lighthouse in Scotland. Again, I think kind of, you know, you have this great kind of dynasty of lighthouse engineers, apart from the one that goes off to become a world famous um, author and poet. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a major reason. I also think that as far as Robertson Stevenson was concerned, like his personality, I think, is part of the reason he's so important. Like he clearly wasn't afraid of the the challenge like building the Bell Rock. He was super keen from the outset that there would be a light built on the Bell Rock. So I think the fact he kind of wasn't afraid of a challenge, he had this kind of ambition and perseverance. And I think that makes him an interesting figure and that is why um, he's still so important in the history of the lighthouses. Let's move on to the uh, the signal tower itself which is uh, obviously hey. the, your uh, museum's uh, reason for for being and the fact that it was a shore station but um, <laughs> can you explain a bit more about what the role of the signal tower was uh, in relation to yeah. the lighthouse? Yeah sure and um, so the signal tower it was also built by Robert Stevenson 
Um, after the Bell Rock Lighthouse, um, the construction that was completed in 1811, um, he started to build Signal Tower um, and that was completed in 1813. So the Signal Tower was essentially the shore station for the Bell Rock Lighthouse. Um, so you had the keeper's houses, the accommodation for the master of the tender, the kind of supply base, and obviously the means for signalling to the lighthouse, which was absolutely vital for the keepers, especially obviously this is in the days before radios and things like that. So that signal tower, that was their kind of one link back to the land when they were um, on this lighthouse. So yeah, um, definitely um, played a vital part in helping to keep the men safe. The signal tower, it's what we refer to as the signal tower, is actually more than one building. Is that right? It's kind of a complex? Yeah, that's right. So there is the main building, as we call it, which um, as you kind of go in, that's the first one you see. It's kind of the tall one with the signal tower kind of within it. Um, and that is where the master of the tender, that's where his quarters would have been. There's also kind of like storage kind of storage huts kind of next to the buildings. And there's two cottages um, mm-hmm. on either side of you as you enter the courtyard. And that's where the keeper's families would have stayed. So yeah, it also rents a really nice courtyard. And in the courtyard now, there's a circle built into the stone. And that circle is the exact same size as the foundation level of the Bell Rock Lighthouse. Oh. So if um, you do ever get to come to Signal Tower, you'll get a complete visual clue of how big that base was. And then there is also a little garden kind of at the back of the main building as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really, really hope I can get there. I was in Scotland in 2017, but not to uh, that part exactly, but uh, I really hope to make it back. We'll talk more about what's uh, at the museum for people to see in a few minutes, but mm-hmm. back to the, the role of the signal tower. Uh, how did that work exactly? How were signals sent back and forth to the lighthouse? So basically, on top of Signal Tower, there's a copper ball mechanism, um, which is now painted red, so it can be seen even more easily. And basically, at the Bell Rock, they would have had a similar um, copper ball mechanism on the lighthouse. And essentially, every day at the lighthouse, they would raise the copper ball on the mechanism up the pole. Um, They'd raise that daily between 9 and 10 every morning. The people at the signal tower, they'd be watching for that signal. When they got that signal, the ball is raised. Everything is okay with the lighthouse. They would then raise the copper ball at signal tower to say, we've received your message, all is well. Um, If the signal ball was raised only halfway or wasn't raised at all, that meant that there was a problem at the Bell Rock. So they would pretty much scramble to get the tender ready to get out and see what the problem was. And whether it was an ill lighthouse keeper or they'd run out of um, supplies or anything like that. Um, Yeah, they put the tender to see immediately to find out what the problem was. Mm -hmm. Um, Stevenson did have other ideas for signaling to the keepers from Signal Tower. I know we're going to talk about things in the museum more in a bit, but he did this amazing book of different signal flags that they could have used. Um, beautiful colour book that's on display in the museum. Mm. Um, they also ran experiments with heliographing and even sending pigeons, um, as kind of messenger pigeons, out to the lighthouse. The kind of story, I think, shows, in a way, kind of how the signal was used and also what life was like for the keepers that's quite interesting. When um, a keeper had to have a shift on at the 
lighthouse he kind of had to go you didn't get time off if your wife was ready to give birth so if his wife gave birth while he was on the bell rock they would raise up either a little um, petticoat or a little pair of trousers so he knew whether he had a boy or a girl oh wow um, yeah so That's sort of a, like that yeah, yeah sort of a reveal party of that day I guess in a way. <laughs> yeah pretty much a lot less dangerous than some of the ones nowadays though much safer to just raise a pair of trousers or a dress on a um, signaling mechanism maybe Absolutely. people should take that up yeah actually I like that a lot so you mentioned uh, pigeons were uh, were suggested. Uh, I don't know if they're uh, pigeon. The carrier pigeons, messenger pigeons, weren't actually tried there, were they? Or it was yeah, just, in they eighteen twenty three, they had um, an experiment using the kind of homing pigeons to carry messages, but mm-hmm. it wasn't very successful because the winds are so strong out there that they kind of get blown off course quite a lot. Yeah. Um. So it wasn't repeated, um, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. They tried that at lighthouses in the in the U.S., but I'm not sure how extensively. I don't I don't think it was done for that long. I know that uh, they at least tried it uh, from uh, Boone Island, which is a, a lighthouse uh, several miles off the coast, not far from me, off southern Maine here. So a little pile of rocks <laughs> in the ocean. I know they tried it there. Typically, well, you mentioned, of course, uh, that if they needed uh, if they needed a doctor, that was probably one reason for for sending uh, signals, or if there was a, a birth or whatever. But um, what other types of messages would typically be sent back and forth? I guess if they were running low on supplies, or they had an accident, or something like that. But often the signal just meant like send a boat out. Um, and there is a story that on one occasion out at the lighthouse there were two large black cormorants. And they basically sat on the lighthouse signal poles and over at signal tower, that was mistaken for the send boat signal. So they went right out there and found nothing to report. So it was obviously very kind of basic messages that would have been sent back and forth um, at that time. How far offshore again is the lighthouse? 11 miles offshore, just over 11 miles. Yeah. Yeah. So did they have like telescopes on, on uh, at the lighthouse and at the signal tower to see back and forth? Yeah, um, there was a chromatic telescope at a signal tower that basically sat on the top of the tower next to the mechanism that they could um, look over at the lighthouse. And obviously the lighthouse had telescopes as well. With the naked eye, you can actually see the bell rock from signal tower just on the horizon. But um, it's literally just a tiny little blip on the horizon um you would definitely need a telescope to be able to see it in any detail yeah when i was in scotland i was able to see bell rock the lighthouse as a tiny little speck in the distance and that was that was a thrill for me just to to know that that was uh, bell rock extremely exciting how many how many keepers were typically assigned to bell rock lighthouse at one time so usually it would have been um, three keepers at the Bell Rock at one time. So the principal keeper and two assistants. So you can imagine three men living in a lighthouse um, all at one time. It was um, very kind of cramped conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did they have like a rotation or um, or three out there always at one time or did they have was one on shore leave or how did that work? No, they tended to have three out at one time just for kind of safety reasons, mm-hmm. basically. Um, there is a story that that kind of came about because there was a lighthouse, I think Smalls Lighthouse in Wales, and um, that had two keepers and one of them died and the other one went mad. So 
I'm not sure the truth to that, but yeah, apparently that's why they liked having the three men there in case a similar kind of tragedy happened. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a, that's a true story. It's a, it's a pretty uh, gruesome, uh, sad story. I just uh, interviewed an English lighthouse keeper, Neil Hargreaves, who's the, uh, Mm -hmm. the president of the association of lighthouse keepers. And he, he, one of the lighthouses where he was stationed was the smalls. And uh, so he was very extremely aware of that, of that particular story. Which has inspired a, a couple of movies and other things, I, I believe. Oh yeah, uh, it's, um, yeah, I can yeah. see why. Yeah. So uh, when the keepers were out at the lighthouse, the, their families, as you mentioned, lived at the the uh, signal tower complex mm-hmm. there. I understand uh, the staff at the signal tower. In addition to uh, obviously receiving and and sending signals, you you mentioned that they would often have a boat go out there. So was it the same staff? Did they uh, bring the the boat out and also? deliver supplies on some kind of a regular basis to the lighthouse? Yeah, so yeah, it was them that kind of went out on the tender to deliver the supplies. Um, and the supplies did include the kind of like relief keeper as well as the actual items. So it was every two weeks, um, roughly depending on the tide, um, the boat would arrive and it would have things like fresh food, water, oil, coal, spare parts, kind of things like that. If the food couldn't be landed, unfortunately for the keepers, they would have to go onto the kind of hard tack, the dry crackers and embalmed beef. Um, So not, yeah, not quite as tasty. We do also have a shopping list from 1987 and the list included six cans of Coke because they were wanting to um, watch a Dundee football match on the television that evening (laughs) and drinking their cans of Coke um, at the same time. They weren't allowed to drink beer, probably. So Coke was. No, a... no, they weren't allowed alcohol. So Coke would have been the treat <laughs> instead. Yeah, obviously, it was an interesting life uh, living out there at Bell Rock. We've said a little bit about that, how, how uh, it took a certain kind of person. But are there any particular stories about uh, the keepers uh, and lives at, at Bell Rock that you find uh, really interesting? Probably the funniest story I was told was by John Booth, who was the last principal lighthouse keeper at the Bell Rock before it was automated in 1988. So obviously toilet facilities were quite limited. In fact, there wasn't even any sort of toilet until 1964 um, actually on the lighthouse at all. So the keepers were kind of used to having, you know, like kind of cans to use under the bed and that lasted even after the toilet. And there was one guy that basically the John both worked with and um, he was really bad for just like leaving these cans about the place. So it was a joke. They kind of like um, put holes in it. So the next time he used it, he ended up with, um, you know, what he'd been doing all over his feet. <laughs> so, oh, um, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it really stuck with me because I'm not I'm not giving the story justice. The way he told it, it was absolutely yeah. hilarious. Um, but I think it kind of shows, um, you know, like the human side, like the kind of pranks and stuff. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I was just reading something lately about uh, you know at lighthouses like that how pranks were so common and they had to keep things kind of loose and and not so serious all the time. Uh, but that's a that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty mean prank <laughs> you just described. But funny at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the museum itself. Uh, obviously, this past year has been very different. It's been different for for everybody uh, all over the world, basically. 
How has that affected you, the pandemic? Has the, was the museum closed for a period of time? So the museum is actually still closed at the moment. We did reopen for a spell in October, but then around Christmas time, obviously the situation worsened here again. So we had to close down. We decided we'd wait until 1st of June is when we'll reopen um, ahead of our summer season. But it's difficult, obviously, with the museum having to be closed and not being able to welcome all the visitors that we usually do. Sure. Well, people will be hearing this uh, after June 1st, so it will be uh, reopened by the time people hear this. Uh, so let's talk about what, what's in the museum. You touched on a little bit before, but what uh, sorts of exhibits are there for people to see? Well, the kind of primary um, kind of purpose of the Signal Tower um, is to tell the story of the Bell Rock from basically um, its conception of being danger um, with the Intricate Reef right up until automation. So we've got um, a kind of range of interesting things related to that. We've got some of the items that were recovered from the wreck of the HMS Argyle. It actually crashed into the Bell Rock during the First World War and was um, sunk, unfortunately. Um, and fairly recently, divers went down and found different items um, related to that. Mm. We've got a copy of um, Stevenson's book um, detailing how the Bell Rock was built. We've got a lens panel from the Bell Rock, which is peppered with kind of holes, which is from where it was used as target practice um, from a Luftwaffe plane during the Second World War. We've got some really amazing models of the lighthouse um, and also like kind of visitors books, letters, photographs of keepers and items belonging to the keepers, things like that. As well as the Bell Rock, we do also have um, exhibits telling the story of like the fishing industry in our both, um, the textile industry and the lawnmower industry, the things that um, our both is fairly well known for in the past. Okay, that sounds like there's there's a lot to see. When people visit, I don't think you mentioned, can they, do people go up in the tower itself? That's actually really interesting because people can't at the moment go up the tower, except on um, those open days in September, we do special events for that. But we are currently doing a project to um, open the tower to the public. Um, it's something we're working on. Basically, to go up the tower, there is a spiral staircase. Um, which is fine. I mean, obviously there are dangers involved in that too, but largely fine. But then you have to go up to kind of um, ladders almost to actually get into the tower room and get to the top. So that's something we need to look at, how we can make that safe for people to come up the tower. And it also needs um, a fresh coat of paint <laughs> and everything like that inside. Um, and because it's a listed building, we obviously have to liaise with Historic Environment Scotland on um, what we can actually do to kind of redecorate it and finish it but we are undergoing that project now so fingers crossed in a couple of years it will be open to the public which would be great for tours for visitors yeah uh, because uh, if you get lighthouse buffs, lighthouse buffs always want to climb upstairs uh, to the top of any, whether it's a lighthouse or any kind of tower, I think uh, that would have uh, some attraction. for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if people come to Arbroath to see uh, your museum, are there other things they could check out in the area, other things to see? Yeah, so probably the most significant thing in Arbroath is Arbroath Abbey. 
It's where the declaration of Arbroath was signed, which um, was basically Scotland announcing its independence from England. So definitely visitors can come see the Abbey. It's really interesting. There's also obviously our other museums in the Angus area. Um, and also if you're into kind of picture stone, stone circles, you can see a lot of that in the local area as well. And the harbour itself in Arbroath is really nice. And there's a really good ice cream shop and fish and chip shop there. Mm. Um, and you can also get Arbroath Smokies, um, which is basically just smoked fish, very tasty. So you can snack on those if you come through as well. I love smoked fish uh, and uh, smoked haddock was a thing that seemed fairly common over there that we don't we don't get much here. So uh, mm. I'd like to come there and try your your local uh, smoked fish. That sounds good to me. But so much about it sounds great. And uh, your museum sounds great. It's, it's really fascinating. And I, I do want to visit there. And I hope some of our listeners can make it there. But I, for now, I have one final question for you. And this is for bonus points. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question is, what is your favorite part of your involvement with the Signal Tower Museum? I think definitely the sense of history that you get just being in the building. It is like it has the kind of like original, like worn flagstone floors throughout the museum and everything like that. So you can almost see the places where people's feet over time have walked. Also, although I've just said that the public can't do this, it is really nice getting to go up to the tower (laughs) and having that view of the surrounding area. I do also think that we do have an important story to tell about the Bell Rock and the building of the Bell Rock. And it is really brilliant to kind of engage a larger audience with that story and portray that to the public and to keep the story of the building of the Bell Rock and all the stories of the keepers and everything alive. So that's definitely a lot of good fun and something I really enjoy. Yeah. Well, that shows your how much you uh, love it really, really comes through. You know, I said that was the final question, but I'm going to sneak in one more question for mm-hmm. you here. If people visit there to come to your museum and see other things in the area, can they also get a, a boat ride uh, out to see the lighthouse more more closely? Is that possible? Yes, definitely. Um, there's a couple of boats from Arbroath Harbour that go out. Um, the one that I've been on is the Predator goes out there. And it's really great. You can go right up to the lighthouse, obviously tide dependent, have a look. Um, and on the way back, they'll even take you um, along so you can see the amazing red Arbroath cliffs as well. Wow. Wow. I've got to, you've got to get there. Uh, you yes, know, Scotland, you yeah, Scotland in general is, is fascinating. And I thoroughly enjoyed my visit mainly to the uh, Edinburgh area back in 2017. I think uh, more U.S. Lighthouse Society tours will be going there in the future, and I hope they can include your your museum in the the tours in the future. So, Caroline Taylor, it's uh, been uh, wonderful talking with you and learning about your museum, and I hope maybe we can talk again sometime. But I I really appreciate you spending this time with me today. No, thank you um, for talking and um, getting information out about Signal Tower to an even wider audience, which is fantastic. To learn more about the Signal House Museum and the other attractions managed by Angus Alive, visit angusalive.scot. That's A-N-G-U-S-A-L-I-V-E dot S-C-O-T. You know, that museum really looks like an interesting place to visit, especially if you can uh, take a boat ride out to see the Bell Rock Lighthouse. 
I've always been fascinated by the isolated wave-swept granite lighthouses, or sea-washed lighthouses, as mm. they call them, call them uh, in the British Isles. And Bell Rock is, the, I'd say, the granddaddy of that type of lighthouse. So, Cindy, we have a couple of extra minutes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, maybe, have you heard any uh, good lighthouse jokes lately? <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, yeah. okay, here, here it goes. Okay. How, how do lighthouse keepers communicate? Uh, I don't know. I give up. How? Shine language. <laughs> okay, well, I guess it's my fault. I didn't ask you if you heard any good lighthouse jokes. Uh, well, at least you didn't tell me that one about the radio communication between a battleship and a lighthouse. I've heard that one uh, at least a thousand times, I'd say. Oh, yeah. I, actually, I like that one. <laughs> well... <laughs> You can, you can like it if you want. Um, for anybody who out there, and I, it's hard to believe that any lighthouse buffs wouldn't know that joke, but for anybody who doesn't, uh, just Google the words battleship and lighthouse at the same time, and you'll I'm sure you'll find that joke very easily. Some people think that joke is based on a true story about uh, communication between a battleship and a lighthouse. It's not a true story. To the best of my knowledge, it's not based on anything factual. I may have thought that at one point that it was well, based on a true story. <laughs> well, now now you know better. Um, also, there's a- We can uh, pretend, you, we can pretend. We can, if, you, if it <laughs> makes you feel good to pretend, you can do that. Um, there's also a YouTube video, a uh, very high production value uh, video. It looks like it was, somebody spent millions of dollars on it, but um, if you search uh, YouTube for Lighthouse and Battleship, you'll probably find it. It's, uh, Again, a a really uh, slickly produced video uh, of dramatizing that joke. Ooh, I'll have to look that up on YouTube. (laughs) So I don't have any more lighthouse jokes, but did you hear about the two satellite dishes that got married? Uh, No, I I haven't heard about that. Please please tell me by all means. (laughs) Well, the wedding was boring, but the reception was excellent. (laughs) And that gets the much higher rating than the previous one, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn about everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers. And uh, for everybody out there who uses Apple Podcasts to listen to this podcast, please rate and review us. Next week's episode of Lighthearted will feature an interview with Marlene O'Connell-Russell, Site Supervisor for Cape Bonavista Light Station in Newfoundland, Canada. To all our regular listeners and also our new ones, thank you so much for listening. And as always, keep a good light. Shine.